Good morning. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm excited to be here this morning. Hope you are as well. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. I look out. I see some of you wearing green in the festive uh, spirit. Uh, St. Patrick's Day is really a Christian holiday. Some of you don't realize that. It's about uh, Patrick, who was a missionary to Ireland and really had a heart to see people come to know Jesus. So it's one of these days. It's kind of a church holiday, but it's been fully embraced by the world that we live in, uh, where we many people think of it as drinking green beer and not people coming to Jesus. So it's kind of unfortunate how that's happened, but happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, what I want to do before we jump into our message is dismiss the children with us. If you, I see some of them already headed out, but if you're here this morning, you have a kids and they've been registered uh, with a band, please feel free to head out. They will meet their uh, leaders out there. If you're here and you have kids and would like them to head out, but you have not had them registered, feel free to head on out down the hall and you will find a registration area there. Give me a minute while I set this up. I have... Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, thank you for just for the life that we have. God, as we're in this series, enjoying life and really talking about what the meaning of life is and uh, why we exist. God, we all come from various places this morning. I just want to acknowledge that. Some here this morning, God, I pray for those here this morning. Uh, you know who they are, who are hurting, who are struggling who are carrying a heavy burden and pain and suffering. God, I pray that you would meet them here. You would just quiet their world around them and they would hear the spirit of God speak to them. Because it's the beauty of the Christian message is we have you, if we believe in Jesus living with us, to speak to us, to comfort us, to talk to us, to guide us. So God, would you, your spirit be very active God, for those that are here this morning, just loving life, God, would they um, be encouraged to and find something to sink their teeth in, run a little deeper, run a little faster. And um, God, for those that are here that may not be sure about where they stand with you, God, I also pray for them right now. I pray that this message, this time uh, would find their hearts um, beating a little faster, would realize that uh, the Bible has answers for who you are and how to relate to you. And God, I pray that they would leave here this morning with some of those questions answered and, and running after you, maybe for the first time in their lives. So God, thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We are in uh, the series, have been in the series, uh, Enjoying Life. And what we've really been doing, has really been talking about, is the book of Ecclesiastes. It's kind of the reality that most of us in this room, I'm going to assume most of us, I know I'm in this camp, is I want to enjoy life. I don't want to get to the end of my life, and I know I'm young yet, but I, you know, as I think about the end of my life, I don't want to get there and look back and think, was it worth it? <laughs> what did I do? As William Wallace said, and, and some of you have seen the movie, some of you have heard the legend uh, in the history of William Wallace. It's apparently whether he really said this or not, we don't know, but it ended up in the movie, so we assume that he said it. Uh, and that is all men die, but not all men truly live. All of us come to an end, but we don't all truly live. And so what we've been talking about is the Solomon, one of the wisest men ever to live on earth, just wrote this book called Ecclesiastes to kind of explore how do you really live? How do you enjoy life? How do you, how do you make the most out of this thing called life? And, and it's a tough book. There's some strange things said. There's some hard things said. And so we've just kind of been pushing back and kind of kicking that around. The very first thing we talked about 
Just kind of review, maybe some of you haven't been here. The very first thing we said is life is a gift from God. It's repeated. It's a theme that's, I believe, repeated six or seven times in the entire book. And so behind life is a gift from God. Every one of our lives, your life, my life, is a gift from God. Packed behind that is the reality that God exists. So if I'm really going to understand my life, if you're going to understand your life, it's not about starting somewhere within myself, but it's about looking without myself and saying there's a creator God in the universe, and I'm going to start with him. So after I believe that God exists, the second thing to acknowledge is kind of he, as Solomon writes, is the fact that God exists and I am not him. So there's a lot about life that you and I just cannot fathom. We can't get our heads around, but we want to. Uh, Eternity is written in our heart, it says. So there's this, there's this desire to figure out how the beginning and the end works together. There's a desire to figure out where do we go after death. There's a desire to figure out how does all this suffering in the world and, and, all the, and how does it all come together to, to really make God a good God and see his plan move forward? So believe God exists, realize I'm not him. And then the third thing that we really kind of talked about is, is fear God or worship God or love God, or whatever the word you kind of want to tack on that. But basically say, God, I am here and I want to be drawn to you. I want to love you. I want to see you. I want to be in relationship with you. So that's what we've been talking about. Now, this morning we're going to get to a section of the book. If you turn with me. We are square in the middle of the book. In the middle of the book is an interesting section. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, if you want to turn with me there. If you're not familiar with your Bibles, again, welcome. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one to you. Please see me afterwards, and I'd love to put one in your hands. But if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're new to Christianity, glad you're here. Ecclesiastes, you will find it roughly right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, you'll see the big book of collection of Psalms. Keep moving. You run into Proverbs, and then you'll hit the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the middle of Ecclesiastes is interesting. As we talk, the beginning of the book is Solomon talking about his experience, and then he kind of shifts to looking out and seeing others' experience. And then what ends up happening here towards the middle to the end is there's this, these proverbial statements, and really what they are, they're, they're kind of interesting. It's full of them. I mean, it's absolutely packed full. And the way I say it, there are a lot of proverbial statements that kind of push back on misplaced assumptions about life. So you're going to read things that you're going to be like, what on earth? That can't be true. And he says a lot of them. And we're going to look at a lot of them because you're thinking, no, wait a minute. So it's these kind of proverbs that push back on our misplaced assumptions of life. And sometimes they're even not just misplaced assumptions. Sometimes there's some overlooked realities of how life works. Where, where he talks. And when you really stop and unpack them and think about them and don't just dismiss them. It helps you enjoy life and life to the full. So uh, we're going to talk about some of these and kind of kick them around. Now, the real desire is that we don't just talk about proverbial statements and we walk out of here trying to live moral and be better people because uh, really want to center all of this discussion this week and then this message is going to continue into next week. In chapter 7, look at verse 15. Now, here's the heart of this. This is going to push back for some of us. Some of you are going to read this and you're going to be like, what on earth? <laughs> some of you may read this and think, this dude, he, this shouldn't even be in the Bible. And there's some, that, some scholars that actually will go that length. But let's read this and look at this and allow this section to push in a little bit to you and, and really chew on it and think about it. Verse 15 goes this way. In this life of mine, I have seen both of these. So he's going to talk about what he's seen. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. 
Another way to say that, most of you have seen this, right? You guys observe life, you've seen this. In other words, you're saying, I've seen a really good person who didn't drink, smoke, and chew or go with girls who do, and they die in their youth. And I've seen a person who, who does drink, smoke, and chew and, and everything else, and, and they live to be 100. And you're thinking, or I've seen people that are really nasty and mean and cruel and just greedy and, and on and on it goes, and they live forever. And I see these people that are innocent and pure and loving and phenomenal, and their, their life is snuffed out early. And, and Solomon says, I've stepped back and I've observed this thing. I've observed that righteous people die early and wicked people can live quite a time. Uh, so he's going to kind of talk about this theme of righteousness and wickedness. Look at verse 16 then. <laughs> I laugh when I read this. This very first statement, I still chuckle at. Even after I spent all week studying it, it's still a funny one when you first see it. Do not be what? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> Have you ever thought that that's even possible? Now, I think most of you do. When you first read it, you're like, really? But most of you get this. I mean, when I was in elementary school, it was called the brown noser, right? And none of us liked the brown noser. And when I got a little older and I started working, none of us liked the boss's pet. And the person was always in the boss's office and narking everyone out, right? We don't like those people. We just have this natural ugh towards those people. Um, so I think some of us generally get this. But, but in the context of Christianity, when you read this phrase, you're like, don't be overrighteous. Really? Now look at what he says happens. And he goes on to say, neither be overwise. So, I mean, there's a funny one. I want to be, I mean, what's one of my prayers in life? Honestly, one of my prayers that I pray regularly is God, give me wisdom. Don't be overwise. And wow. Now look at why. Look at what he says. Why destroy yourself? We're going to come back to that. So being overrighteous and overwise can destroy me. Now look at verse 17. Do not be over wicked. With some of us, we get that one. (laughs) But you say over wicked? Should I be wicked at all? Why say over wicked? I mean, is there, does that mean I can be a little wicked? All right. I'm not going to hang on here and do not be a fool. So this one, he kind of lays out in black and white. Don't be a fool. So there's, you can't even be a little bit of a fool. Just don't be a fool. And then he says with this one. So the first one, verse 16, you're going to destroy yourself. Verse 17, he says, then why die before your time? So the overrighteous hurt themselves. The over wicked kill themselves. Now look at verse 18. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God, now this is crucial. This thought of fearing God comes in again. This thought of fearing God shows up. Remember I said, as you study the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the best things to do is to just stop and say, what are the repeated themes? This is a repeated theme. So it's really good to kind of key in on some of them. So here it is again. The man who fears God will avoid, and this is cool. What's it say? All extremes. So if I fear God, if I really love God, I am going to live, another way to say this, I'm going to live a balanced life. I'm not going to run to the black and white extremes. I'm going to live in the middle somewhere and be balanced. Now, I want to push back on this a little bit. I want to kind of talk about this. And the interesting thing is, as I was kind of preparing for this, I didn't fully realize this, but um, we've got a great group of volunteers here at the church. Do a lot of work and work that I'm not even fully up on all the time. And I think it's one of the beauties of Bethany is, is some of the great volunteers. We've got a group of people, for instance, that uh, leads our Sunday school area. And I didn't realize this until just a week and a half ago, actually, that uh, there is right now as we meet, one of the Sunday school classes that's going on is, is studying through a book called Prodigal God, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Tim Keller and The Prodigal God, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, it's a great, great study. And actually, he talks about these two verses. He doesn't use these verses, but he lays them out and talks about it. He basically says there are kind of two ways 
and this Solomon is echoing this, there are basic two ways to try and make yourself and myself good and right. There are basically two ways to be happy in the world. There are basically two ways to relate to God. Now, there's some hybrids of these and maybe a third and a fourth way, but generally humankind throughout all of history kind of runs into two camps on how to live a happy life and how to relate to God. The first one is in verse 17. And why I'm going to put this one first is because most of us get this and realize this isn't a good way to go. The first one would be self-discovery. And that's basically the live as I want, live as I see fit, do what, do what satisfies me. That's the over-wicked. Kind of basically run out and spend time with nothing other than me. And basically I'm going to try and find my true self and explore and find freedom. And, and you know, and, and it, it will run to any ends it wants. Now, so that's kind of one way to go about um, grabbing the world that God's given us, grabbing happiness and how to, how to find fulfillment. It starts with me. Now, most of us in this room just kind of say, yeah, we get that. That's not cool. If you're here this morning, I generally assume you're smart people. You say, I, I kind of get that one. That's not the way to go. Now, the second one, though, the second one we struggle with, I struggle with. I'll say it that way. And that's moral conformity. And that's basically saying, I am going to be good. So in other words, my way to be happy, to live right, to, to relate to God is to obey all the rules, to really work hard, to conform to morality. So I'm going to work really, really hard. So these are kind of these two ways uh, to go about it. And both sides, what both sides do is what verse 18 says. Both sides will stand up on a stage like this and passionately implore and challenge and say, you all need to live this way. This is the way to go. And they'll write books and they'll, they'll just run to these extremes and say, man, go out and discover yourself and live as you want and find life and find freedom because God is tolerant and God is loving and, and all the other stuff. And the other side will run to the ends of, no, you need to obey the rules and stick to moral conformity and obey the law and do what's good and die to self. And, and they push this stuff really. And so they'll run to these extremes and they'll really be very passionate about it and go very black and white and, and, and run very hard. Now, I believe there's a third way and Ecclesiastes gives us that third way. So I want to kind of kick around this third way. And the third way is called the gospel of Jesus. Now, if you're new to church, you may have heard this term gospel thrown out. It simply means good news. So the good news of Jesus to get into this one, I want to give you a little preview of the Easter message coming in two weeks. The Easter message, we're going to end at the end of the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and then launch into the beauty of the resurrected Jesus, the the empty tomb. So we're going to use this verse and then go into that. But I just want to give you a little preview. Solomon sums the whole book up and he says this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. So here's how to enjoy life. Here's the meaning of life. Here is, it all is summed up. And look what he says. Fear God and what? Keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Two things that are stated. He sums the entire life of man up. Here he says it. For this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, keep his commandments. So he says, that's it. Fear God and keep his commandments. So here's what I have observed in my life growing up in a Christian home in a Christian school and in a Christian environment is I've gotten this verse mixed up. And when we get this mixed up, we come back to verse 16 of chapter seven and it destroys us. This has to be kept in this order or else we're in big trouble. Notice what it says first, fear God and then keep his commandments. Another way to say this, the New Testament writers say it this way. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? Some of you know the Bible. You've heard that. You love me, you will obey my commandments. 
What we do in Christian circles, what I do in Christian circles, is we tend to flip the order. We think, well, if I obey, then I love, and it doesn't work. Solomon doesn't say obey God's commandments and then fear him. He says fear him, love him, worship him, and then, and then obey him. One flows. The, in other words, the obedience is the result of the first one. It's the way the Bible, the biblical writers talk about it. And this ultimately is going to get us to the third way, which is the message of Jesus. What I want to do is this. I brought this chart up here. I know all of you can't see this. I wish you could. I'm going to try my best to just kind of demonstrate this. If you had a target to shoot at this morning, I know some of you say I already do. His name's Adam. He's standing right in front of you there, right? If you have a target to shoot at this morning, and if this represents the Christian life, if I ask you to, to just stop and say, what is the goal of the Christian life? What is this right here? What is the bullseye of the Christian life? What is, what is my objective for getting out of bed in the morning as a Christian? And what I find happens, what I found myself doing for a lot of years, a lot of years, growing up in a Christian home, a Christian school, a Christian environment, being in church for most of my life, what I found happen is what I put here right in the middle is up caught holiness. Live holy, live right, be right, be good, obey the rules, be righteous. And that's what I put as the Christ, that is the goal of the Christian life. And I would shoot at it and run hard at it. But I become to find out that isn't, that's not the goal of the Christian life. Now, some of you say, oh my goodness, Adam, you're a heretic. Hang on. Holiness goes on the target. It's just not the middle of the target. So, this is so important to me. Because what ends up happening, if I put holiness on the t- in the center, what I've done is I put obey his commandments primary. And it never gets me where I want to be. It doesn't give me a happy life. It doesn't give me a great life. Sure, God says be holy as I am holy. But he says something that's more important. Okay, what's really at the center, we'll get to this here in a minute. Let me say it this way. I'll put some slides up to kind of maybe, the ultimate goal of the Christian life is not living right. Can I hang, hang with this? What the goal is, love God, fear God. That is the goal of the Christian life. So what I want to put right here is I don't, it's not about holiness. Holiness goes on here, but it's, it's love God, fear him, worship him, love him, have him, possess him, be in relationship with him, fear God and obey his commandments. Love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So here's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is basically this. The message of Jesus is you can't live right. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard I try, Adam, God's message to me is you can't be holy. You can aim at it all you want, but you can't do it. It's impossible. You need rescue. I put it this way. It's like if I were at the ocean. I mean, I'm going to, I look forward to this. Um, we're going to head down to the ocean this summer on vacation. I haven't been there uh, in a year or two for a whole week as a family. We're going to head down. Uh, with my extended family and the Outer Banks, have a lot of fun, look forward to it. Now, if I were there in the Outer Banks, now they don't have lifeguards there where we're going, but let's say I'm there and the lifeguards are there and I'm out swimming and, the, and there's a storm coming and the rip current picks up and it starts pulling and I feel myself struggling. I realize I am drowning. I am going under. What do I need at that point? I need a lifeguard. I need rescued, right? I've, I need something outside of myself to get me back to shore. 
So the lifeguard sitting in his chair sees me struggling, sees me sucking water down into my lungs. And the lifeguard then calls alert to the other lifeguards and they grab their little red, whatever those cool little things are. And they maybe grab a boat and they come running to the water and they, they, they know how to beat this thing. I'm out there working hard and fighting against this current. The more I fight, you know, those of you who know rip currents, the more you fight and try and get in, what actually happens? The more you go under. <laughs> the more you're going to lose your energy. And you're, so I'm fighting and fighting and trying to do the right things. And suddenly they come and they rescue me. They bring me to shore. They pump my lungs of all its water and I find myself alive. That's the message of Jesus. I am dead. I am drowning. I, am, I cannot be holy no matter how hard I try. I can't be righteous no matter how hard I try. I need help in it. I need to be rescued. I can't get into relationship with God without help. So I need to be rescued. Now, here's the cool thing. So Jesus comes and he basically says, Adam, accept me. Let's exchange lives. Let's your life for my life. You're my perfect life for your less than perfect life. Let's exchange life. So that when God looks down, then he doesn't see Adam. He sees Jesus. And when he looks down and sees Jesus, what does he see? He sees holy. And he says, man, Adam's holy. Adam's righteous. That's what God actually says. When he sees Jesus in me, he says, righteous, holy, therefore we're in relationship. Now, this is what happens with this. What we do then is we go and live what we are. We live out of gratitude and out of saying, God, thank you. I want to this. For example, if I go back to, um, if I get a letter in the mail, okay, if I get a letter in the mail and they say, Adam, we're, uh, we're, we need money. Our lifeguards are struggling. They've cut funding. Uh, you know, we need, we need money to keep this thing moving, to upgrade our equipment, to make sure that we are rescuing people. What are the, what's, if I was rescued for that lifeguard, that organization, what's the likelihood of me signing a check to give to them? It's high. And I'm going to rip my checkbook out and say, man, these people saved my life. And I'm going to write a check and I'm not going to sit there and go, okay. It's kind of like when some of us get the, the letter in the mail from the fire company, you know, they're always asking for money. A lot of, what do we most of us do? Well, I guess I'll give them 10 bucks you know, and we begrudgingly send it in. But I guarantee you, if you had the fire company save you, when you get that letter in the mail, you don't say, I'm going to give them 10 bucks. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to empty the bank account. We're, I, I love these people. I love what they do. We come to church, most just pull checks out. I'm going to give my 10%. It changes the, when I put fear God, love God, worship God, and, and I put my goal of life is to pursue him. I realize that I can only do it through Jesus. I can only have him through Jesus. And when I have Jesus, then it drives all this other behavior. And I don't need to aim at it and work really hard. It's a beautiful way. The gospel message, let me sum it up this way. The gospel message is not primarily, this is, this is so important to me. The gospel message is not primarily a way of life. I think a lot of times people think Christianity is a way to live. The gospel life is not primarily that. It leads to that, but it's not primarily that. The gospel message is not something we do or you do, I do, but it's something that has been done for us and something that we then respond to. And see, I grew up in a home that I think lived in verse 16 of chapter 7. Be righteous, be righteous, obey the rules, obey the rules, do the right thing. And I saw the message of Jesus as something that I had to do, not what's been done to me, and then I respond to it out of a heart of saying, God, I thank you. It's a, grat- it's a, it's a heart of gratitude that, that makes me want to believe. 
The gospel message is not even joining something, meaning the kingdom of God. It's receiving something, meaning Jesus' finished work. And this is another one. Even though the message of Jesus is something I have to believe, if it remains a set of beliefs and that's it, I don't really believe it. It's got to touch the affections of my heart and compel me to live. It's called grace. Now, if you've grown up in a culture like I did that pushes a message that's a little different than this, what ends up happening at this point, and it still happens to me, I step back and as a dad and as a pastor, I do, I, I, I say, oh no, we can't go there. We can't push this too hard because then we're going to give, we're going to punch the ticket for my kids to go out and do what they want to do, Right? Adam, you're telling me we've got to get rid of, you don't preach law, you don't preach rules. Now, aren't your kids going to go out and just do whatever they want? Aren't the people of the church just going to go out and do whatever they want? So what ends up happening in my own thinking, I begin to build guardrails down the road. And I call it rules and law. Okay, I don't want my kids to go off, so we're going to put these guardrails up. Yeah, I'm going to preach grace. We'll keep that. We've got to preach a little law too. We've got to preach a little obey God's commands. And what ends up happening, again, verse 16, it destroys us. It actually works very counterintuitive. Here's what happens. What I find, you soon not to live by the gospel. It's like, okay, I got in by grace, but now I'm going to live, I'm going to live by these guardrails to make sure I don't end up out there. People who don't live the gospel, who really take the message of Jesus deep into their soul and respond out of that. Here's what I see. And this has been me for so many years. People like that are either generally tired, because what does Jesus offer us? Those of you who know the verse, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So people who are tired and just worn out and don't have the energy and, and they don't have joy and they aren't walking around with this eternal inside smile that says, yeah, life may be tough, but I have Jesus. People that don't find, and we derive energy from that. You drive energy. I drive energy. People are either tired, they're frustrated because they can't obey the rules. No matter how hard they try, they're always falling short. And they're always, they, they, man, I can't, I got, and they, and they get up the next morning and dig in deeper and we're going to try harder. And what that leads to is this guilt and shame and condemnation and feeling bad about ourselves. And I got to work harder. And it always, almost always leads to an angry life. If you run into an angry person, this has been me for a lot of years. I've been through counseling. I've sat with counselors and they come at me with this one. Adam, you're angry. I preach angry at times. Some of you say, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's not good. But when I'm doing that, what it's coming from, I've found over and over because I don't understand the gospel of grace. And I'm up here just angry. Or I'm with my kids angry. Or I'm with life angry, yelling. And, and where's it coming from? People who don't live this out, this is generally what happens. And see, what we do is we tack the laws on. And here's, again, here's the law. Romans chapter 7. Galatians chapter 3, you could read on this one. Romans chapter 3, you could read on this one. There's so many verses in the Bible that would, that would lead to this, this talk about the same thing. This is the, I don't have time to go into all of them, so I'm just going to give you one this morning. But sin, look at this. Look at what sin does. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, produced in me every kind of coveting. So where did my coveting come from? The commandments, right? Sin sees the opportunity afforded by the commandments. It then produces in me coveting. So if I'm going to tack all the extra laws on and tell people live by law, okay, grace is important, 
but we're going to kill, keep the laws in here. What I've done is I've given sin that's in all of us, looks out at those guardrails and says, oh yeah. And it actually produces in me more coveting for apart from the law. If I didn't have, take the guardrails off, sin was dead. You don't have law. You don't have sin. He's like, okay, no kidding, Adam. You're smart people. You get this. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandments came, look at this. When the commandments came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment, the law, which was intended to bring life, actually brought death because I have sin in me. And it just says, whoa. I mean, you see this with kids, right? If you draw a boundary, what's the kid do? I mean, I talk in context of kids. I've got lots of them at home. You draw a boundary, what's the kid do? Pushes it. Why did he do that? Right there it is. It'd be better just not talk about the boundary. Let's talk about over here instead. Let's talk about the beautiful things you can have here. Let's just not talk about this. And see, so we, what ends up happening, those of us that are Christians, if you're in this room, when you say, I'm a Christian, you get this message. You understand that it's about the gospel of Jesus. But what we do then is we, we put the gospel of Jesus aside after I get into Christianity. And now I'm going to take that and let's move that over here. And let's move holiness in here now and make holiness my bullseye. And what I do is I've sprung sin to life in me because I'm working so hard to obey the rules. And I end up tired, frustrated, and angry. I want to illustrate this. And I've thought long and hard how to do this. There's so many illustrations I could give in this one. But what I really want to do is speak as a pastor of this church and share how I've seen this play out. I've been at Bethany now three years. And one of the things that I've seen, I've reflected a lot on these years. Mistakes I've made, joys I've had, victories we've had, failures. And just kind of kicked it around a lot. One of the things that has saddened me more than anything else is the sexual brokenness that I've dealt with. I mean, it's just broke my heart. As I walk with the people that say, this is my church home. As we reach into our community and, and people come in here and I, I sit down and walk through the sexual brokenness, just, I'm like, wow. Now, yes, there's pornography problems. Yes, there's, there's people can't wait to get married and, and do things outside of marriage. Yes, there's homosexuality. I've dealt with all that and worked with that and walked with that. And that's sad. It's, it's not good. But those things, I'll be honest, I kind of expect those things. You do too, right? I mean, you're, you're gassed at it. But then we kind of, I mean, look at our culture today. You, you just watch nighttime TV tonight and you're going to see those things. I mean, it's our culture. So I kind of expect to deal with that. But what I'm talking about that I've seen here in three years has been horrible sexual abuse. As I sit and listen to some of you, my heart just aches at what I've heard. I've seen bestiality. I've seen pedophilia. I've seen incest. And the one that's caught me off guard more than any as a pastor of this church is the high number of extramarital affairs. Huge number. Now, as I've stepped back and I've said, why? I've soon stopped asking why, and I just said, we need help. I need help. I don't know how to deal with this. As I've journeyed this, one of the things that I've realized, I thought, well, maybe some of the reason this is going on is just that I'm a senior pastor now, and before I wasn't. So a senior pastor has, has the unfortunate privilege of seeing more and taking in more and knowing more. So when I stand up here, I know more of what's going on in your lives <clears throat> than I would if I were an associate pastor. 
So that's, that's why I see more. So in my process of reaching out to get help, to say to my friends, what resources are out there? What do I need to know as a pastor? What kind of things should we be preaching on? What kind of, how do we do it in a context where there's children in the room? And so we protect little ears, but yet challenge adults that, are, that have been, that have stuck in this stuff. And, and I've reached out and trying to seek the help that I can. And what I've consistently heard from my friends is shock. Friends that have churches twice this size that say, Adam, and these are friends who are from different parts of the country, not just here in, in Lancaster County. Friends that say to me, Adam, those numbers are crazy. I say, what do you mean? They say, Adam, I, I don't know, but th- those numbers are high. There's something going on there in that church. That, And so it pains my heart. The light bulb came on one day for me when I was sitting down with our chief of police here in eastern Lancaster County. Great man. Don't know where he's at with Jesus. I know he's Catholic, and I know he's very religious, and, but a great guy. Great guy. I'm sitting down to seek counsel from him on a, on a legal matter, unrelated to all this. And as we got talking, just getting to know one another, and we've had lunch together and done some other things, we get talking, and he says to me, he says, Adam, you know, it's interesting. I was talking about the area. I said, what do you see in this area? He says, Adam, you know one of the things I see more than anything else in this area is sex crime. And my ears perked up. So I said, so I'm, I'm not dreaming this up. This really is a high number. He says, he says yeah, and, and if your church is like this area, if your church is probably just a representation of this area, the numbers are huge. He says, I came from Kennett Square. He's told me he was, he was in Kennett Square, so you know that area, more the Philly direction. I was there for 30 years. And he says to me, for instance, right now, Adam, he says, we have in Eastern Lancaster County, this was the time when I was talking, and we have three open sex crime cases, three. In Kennett Square, we often didn't have that in a year. You've got it here. We've got it here in one week. Now, as I've taken that in and thought a lot about that, and I really kind of kicked it around, one of the things that I've realized is this right here, is the fact that Christian people even struggle with this. I struggle with this. We move the gospel out of the center, and we put holiness in there. And what I've learned in sexual areas, for instance, it's a desire. It's an affection of the heart. It's a passion. And rules don't ever curb passion. Matter of fact, rules actually inflame passion. Produced in me every kind of coveting. So I realized what the culture I grew up in, do you know what I heard on sex? I never heard that it's beautiful. I never heard that it's a gift from God. I never heard as a teenager, Adam, you were going to love this one day. Does that make some of you blush, even me saying that? I never heard, Adam, this is one of the most amazing gifts God's ever given. I never heard anyone tell me, Adam, you know, sex is actually the language that God uses for the relationship that he wants with us. It's an intimacy. It's a deep knowing. And it's beautiful. And it's gorgeous. And I never heard, wait, just wait, Adam. Do you know the message I heard over and in my home? My parents didn't mean to go this route, but in my home and in the Christian school and in the Christian church I went to, bad and don't. And I didn't hear the gospel of grace preached. What I heard is, yes, Adam, you're saved by grace, but now we've got to put the boundaries up. Now we've got to put the law up and the, the do's and the don'ts. Instead of just continuing to come to me and say, Adam, do you understand that you're a sinner, lost and in and, and, and need of rescue? And Jesus came and he rescued you. Fear him, love him, worship him. 
from a deep place of gratitude, not out of compulsion and have to, but a place of saying, yes, look at who Jesus is. I had a, I had a culture that slammed the rules down, and here's what happens. I've seen this over and over. Those affections, we only starve the lion with the rules. And starving the lion, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. Have you ever been to the zoo and watched them throw the meat into that pen? It's one of my favorite things to do. I always ask, when are they feeding these crazy things? And I love to come back and watch it. And they throw these big honking chunks of meat in there. And you watch these animals, these ferocious animals, come in and devour this meat and tear it apart. When you starve a lion, a tiger, any of these ferocious cats, they're scary to be around. They're scary to be around, period. I don't want to hang around them hungry or not. But when you starve it instead of kill it, it'll, it'll sooner or later rear its head up and destroy me. Verse 16, isn't that what it says? You go back to chapter 7, verse 16. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why? Destroy yourself. Now, for some reason, I'll speak from the heart again. For some reason, what I want to do so bad, I want to create black and white rules. I forget about verse 18. I forget. I want to create black. I want boxes. I don't know why I do this. You may do, maybe relate to this. I want rules. I want things that I can check off so that I can know, am I good? Have I got it today? And God comes along with a message of Jesus. He says, Adam, it's really not about black and white rules that you can check off and feel good about yourself. What you're missing, Adam, is the beauty and the simplicity of being called a child of God. And I've been amazed at the number of counselors, the counselors. I've sat with three different counselors now in my lifetime, and all of them have surfaced the same thing. Adam, God loves you. Adam, in Jesus, you are righteous. In Jesus, you are holy. In Jesus, you, you, Adam, are God's child, and he's moving, he's wild about you. And he said to me, Adam, your anger and your, the other issues that have come out, have, have, it's because you keep running from the gospel. And Adam, it's not about the black and the whites, the rules, the guardrails. It's about living in relationship with God, listening to him, and responding. In other words, the way I've had it said to me is live out what I already am, holy. You know, a lot of ways you can't be any more righteous. If you're in Jesus, if you're here when you're a Christian, you can't be any more righteous in a lot of ways than what you are right now. Because God looks down and says, there's Jesus. Do you really believe that? And I have counsel say to me, Adam, do you really believe that? When God looks down at you and sees Jesus, he sees righteousness. He sees holy. So now go live what you are out of a place of, of gratitude and of, out of a place of joy. Embrace, in other words, the third way. Don't get stuck in verse 16. Don't get stuck in verse 17. Embrace the third way, which is Jesus. And it's not so much about what I do for him, but what he's done for me. Now, when we laid this series out, when we laid this series out, this morning wasn't supposed to go this way. It's kind of funny. <laughs> What we were going to do is we're going to look at some of the fun, and we're going to do this next week. So let's give you a little preview. We were going to look at fun verses like verse, chapter 7, verse 28. Women, I'm sorry, but this is, this, this is kind of funny. I laugh because I'm, some of you just see it in the English and, and make a little offended, but you've got to understand it's a little bit of Hebrew. Well, I was searching but not finding. I found one upright man among a thousand 
But women, I'm sorry, but not one upright woman among them all. Sorry, guys. <laughs> guys, you're good. Women, sorry. Uh, so you laugh at that. You, you realize that God's a, um, God's a Republican. And those of you who know me will really laugh at that because, you know, I don't fully lean that way. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 10, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. There you go. You can go preach that to your um, Democratic friends, right? Uh, just don't send them to me. Uh, verse, verse 19 of chapter 10. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Really, Solomon? I mean, there's some of these, and there's so many more as you. Um, there, there's, look at verse chapter 7, verse 21. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. I love it. It's the humor of that. It's just kind of funny. There's another one that says, don't talk evil of your leaders. Don't even think it because guess what happens? A little birdie is going to carry it to them. And that's so true. So many people that talk evil of me, I almost always find out. It's hilarious. I love it. It's like this little bird carries it on the wind. And again, we were going to talk about some of this stuff. And we're still going to next week. But what happened, we laid some of it out to talk about this week. But what happened is in my studies converged with where I'm at in my personal life. And I realized, you know what, Adam? Let's not stand up and preach a bunch of cool wisdom that's going to help people live and miss the fact that we can't do it without Jesus. And as I was studying, I came across chapter 7. I saw it and I said, man, let's just stop and talk these few verses. And that I need Jesus. See, I'm on a journey myself. What I'm really trying to do, and I'll just be very candid. God's been speaking to my heart. He says, Adam, come back to the simple message of hearing from me. Be in relationship with me. Possess me. Excuse me. Listen and respond, Adam. Listen and respond. What I've seen over and over with the gospel message of Jesus it's not, the Christian life is not about digging deeper for more doctrinal truth. That's important. It goes somewhere up here and it's helpful. But when you read Titus chapter three, what it really becomes evident to me is the Christian message is about you have been made right before God by Jesus, period. And then what my life becomes is not let's go now try and obey the rules, but let's go from that place and constantly make sure I'm realigning my life to that message that brought me life in the first place. Don't lose it, Adam. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. That's what God's been doing inside of me. And he's been saying to me, Adam, get off of your list. Get off of the guardrails. Come full center to grace. Listen to me. Respond to me. And allow me to change you from the inside out and then go and be what you already are, which is a child of God. Go and be what you already are, which is holy. Go and be what you already are, which is righteous. And instead of obeying out of, out of, out of the desire to hear God say, well done, I'm now, which is good. But instead of obeying, trying to hear God accept me, I'm now obeying out of a heart of gratitude. I'm out of obeying out of a heart of, man, I get to, I want to. God, thank you for Jesus, for changing me from the inside out. We're going to do, so anyway, all that to say, if we change kind of this message this morning, we'll come back to some of this contrary wisdom. I just want to make sure we don't do it from a moralistic, work hard, be over righteous position. We do it from a place of loving Jesus. What I want to do is I want to pray for us. 
then the, the band's going to come up and do a song from the inside out. It's a special music, a time for us to reflect. And I really want to encourage you this morning. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm a Christian, you know that you're a Christian. During this song, what I just encourage you to just pray and talk to him about asking, is my life realigned? God, realign. What, ask myself, where am I out of sync with the gospel as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as a boss, as a teacher, as a student, as a, wherever you are in life. God, realign me to the gospel. Realign me to that place of grace and mercy. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm not so sure I'm a Christian. You know, the cool thing is, all it takes is a simple saying, Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I know you've died for me. And I'm going to put my faith in what you've done for me, not what I'm going to do for myself. That's all it takes. So again, use this song. It's time to reflect uh, for yourself. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, God, when I studied for this week and we laid this message out a number of weeks ago, I I just confessed to you in front of all these people that I wasn't planning to go on this direction with this message this morning. And we had this neat little package all put together. But God, thank you for speaking. Thank you for being alive. And God, thank you for stirring my heart and challenging me to listen. And God, what cool verses. They kind of are tough to think about. But don't be (laughs) overrighteous. Don't be overrighteous. God, help us as people right now. I just want to pray a very simple prayer. There are people in this room that are Christians that know for sure they're secure in you because of what Jesus has done. God, would these next couple minutes, just would you speak to them? Would you help them to just ask, how am I as a wife? How am I doing as a husband? How am I doing in, as an employee, as a boss, as wherever I'm at in life? Am I living out my life fully aligned with the gospel message of Jesus? Or am I chasing after the rules to make myself good? Sure, we want to live holy, God. We want to. But it's out of a want to and a desire, not a have to and a duty and an obligation. So God, help us to live holy, but help it to come from a place of freedom and grace in Jesus Christ. God, for people here this morning right now, my my second simple prayer is for people here that, that aren't sure about their relationship with you, aren't sure if they were to die today, where they'd spend eternity, aren't sure about... And all that stuff, God, would they just, would they have a calm assurance right now that all it takes is calling out to Jesus, calling out to you in the name of Jesus and saying, I believe that Jesus died and paid a price for me and lived the life that I can't live. And I just want to exchange my life with his. What a cool thing it would be to have a few people this morning to say, I'm crossing that line. I'm coming to life. I'm coming home. I want to be God's child. God adopt me this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.